0: Now, David Fiorazzo. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ, the remnant of true, true,
1: I have to say, I always say true, Bible believing Christians. Because as we know, there are false believers, false converts, and uh, we try to differentiate here. But thank you guys so much for tuning in. We appreciate the support last week. It's just amazing. I don't know where the the people are coming from, but people are tuning into the podcast. They're sharing it, downloading it. So thank you. Of course, it helps to have great guests. And we've got two guests today I can't wait to get to on a very timely, very important, but difficult topic that's necessary to discuss in just a minute. I want to remind our Colorado friends, I know we've got people listening in uh, between Denver, Colorado Springs. I will be there next Sunday speaking at Plum Creek Chapel. That's closer to Denver than Colorado Springs, but I I know if you're in the area, you know it's a little quick jaunt one way or another up the freeway. So I would love to see you guys at Plum Creek Chapel. I'm Sorry, I don't have the service times, but I'll I'll get that to you. Um, So uh, J.B. Hickson's church, by the way, J.B. Hickson, one of our guests here on Stand Up for the Truth. So today we're going to be talking about sexual integrity, pornography. Uh, maybe we'll touch on some topics that all you know, fall under those umbrellas. Sexual issues, discipline, um, godliness, righteousness. Um, very briefly, we'll, we'll touch on child trafficking. Because all these things that we're seeing, even abortion, these things are a result of pornography a result of the sin, sexual sin, that, that lust, and so many other things. So very, very difficult topic but important today. I want to point you to the book real quick. It's called Treading Boldly Through a Pornographic World. I've got the authors, actually the co-authors, here today, and we'll get to them in just a minute. Father in heaven, we invite you to lead and guide this podcast today, and Holy Spirit, lead the conversation We know a lot of people need to hear what's going to be shared today. And we also know that a lot of people tend to avoid this topic. And even some churches tend to avoid this topic, Lord. But thank you, God, for people who are are willing to address this head on and deal with it and confront the issue. And then point people to you, Jesus, the forgiveness that can be found in Christ and then point people to solutions and applications and the disciplines that we need to do in our Christian lives. So thank you, God, for allowing us to talk about things that really matter, first of all, in terms of eternity where salvation is concerned, but secondly, on how to live a productive and a life in righteousness, and in the righteousness of Christ and in holiness. God, as hard as that is, um, you instruct us to do so. So help us, Lord, increase our faith in the name of Jesus. And if anyone's struggling with some of the the sins and the issues that we're going to be talking about today, help them not feel condemned because there is no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but help them to come to you immediately and repent, knowing that there is forgiveness. Thank you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. So today's guests I'm blessed to have in studio with me from Wisconsin, Daniel Weiss, He's the president of the Brushfires Foundation and also on, la- on the phone, I should say, Josh Glazer, And he's the co-author. They're both co-authors of this book we're going to be talking a little bit about. It's called Treading Boldly Through a Pornographic World. Now, let me give you a little bit of background on these two gentlemen. Uh, Daniel is a writer, speaker, visionary, passionate about tackling tough questions about sexual identity with depth and compassion. He spent more than a decade helping church and community leaders Educators and policymakers address complex situations surrounding sexual brokenness with the hope and life giving truth. Josh Glazer is the executive director of Regeneration. It's a Christ centered ministry that helps men, women, and families to learn and live God's good, holy, and beautiful design for sexuality. He's married to Jamie, 20 years. Congrats, Josh, and acquired a fondness for coffee sometime amidst the births of their four daughters and one son. So gentlemen, Daniel and Josh, welcome to Stand Up for the Truth.
2: Oh, thank you, David, for having us.
1: Josh, you there?
2: Yeah, really glad to be here. All right. And and, and
1: you're you're calling in from Maryland. Is that correct?
3: That is correct. All
1: right. Well, it's good to have both of you here. First of all, You guys are from different states. How did you come together and and write this book? How did that, I'll have Daniel answer that question, and Josh, if you want to add anything to it, you can.
2: Yeah, basically, uh, a mutual friend of ours, uh, we didn't know each other, but a mutual friend learned that uh, Josh had uh, a writing project, and I was doing more freelance writing at the time. This was a number of years ago, and Josh, he connected us, and Josh told me the kind of the project he wanted to work on, it was a, a, a small booklet for parents because they had been doing parenting workshops and he wanted to write this booklet, but he didn't have the time. So he was asking me to help him write it. And the more we talked about the, pro- the project, um, it, it came about that uh, it, it, he, he didn't remember me saying this, but uh, at one point I said, this is not a booklet, it's a book. And I want to help, I want to write it with you. Hmm. Let's co-author it. And so from basically not knowing each other, we started meeting weekly uh, by phone and talking through the concepts of the book. And Mm -hmm. and eventually, uh, a lot of the the conversations we had are in the book because we began doing fatherhood together and Mm -hmm. life together and wrestling through these issues with our own families. So the, the book really reflects that, how uh, there's a lot of personal journey involved in this. But uh, that that was God's provision, putting us together like that. Uh, Josh, any uh, anything you'd like to add?
3: Yeah, I mean, what Daniel said is absolutely true. And I think that we found early, early on just a, a real synergy in our desire to address this topic, these topics, more deeply. We didn't want to just paper over it. We didn't want to just give, you know, quick, easy answers to problems because they really go down to the depth of who we are as individuals and who we are as families. And uh, so it's been a joy. And and the other thing that we found out along the way is that Daniel's much more analytical. Uh, I'm much more pastoral. So the combination of what we were bringing to the book, I mean, it made it difficult sometimes (laughs) writing the book. It's different. (laughs) But I think it made it a stronger book in the end. And so we're really, really, it's just been a blessing to work
1: together on it. Fantastic. Before I talk a little bit about Brushfire's Foundation and uh, Regeneration, I think that was yours, Josh. Is that correct, Regeneration? Yep, that's right. Okay, before I do that, The the description in the book, and it can be found on Amazon, Treading Boldly Through a Pornographic World. It says, parents today are the first generation to raise kids in a digitally connected, porn-saturated world. Porn can be accessed in locker rooms, cafeterias, classrooms, and bedrooms, anywhere kids have access to digital devices, and that means anywhere. Uh, Worse yet, pornography was once considered fringe, and it's now become increasingly mainstream. And all this is misshaping children's understanding of sexuality, and we'll stop right there. So many important points to tackle. But first, Daniel, Brushfires Foundation, you founded that. You're the president. Tell us about that.
2: Yeah, it really came out of work I had been doing before uh, we, we started this uh, nonprofit. But I had been working at Focus on the Family for almost nine years, addressing topics of sexuality, uh, pornography, broadcast indecency, and sex trafficking. Um, we actually, like Josh, have been married 20 years, and uh, we have four girls and a boy as well. Oh, you're kidding! It, it was not a prerequisite for <laughs> writing the book, but uh, uh, we have a lot in common. But uh, uh, when we felt we wanted to be closer to family, my wife and I, so we moved back to Wisconsin, and I just felt God calling me to continue that work to help Christians, help churches and leaders really address these hard sexual topics with, you know, truth— with grace, with compassion. And so Brush Fires um, started in 2012, and, and we, we're now doing a project called the Sexual Integrity Leadership Summit, where we train Christian leaders in an annual summit around the country each year. So a um, lot, of, lot of great work happening in the last uh, nine years.
1: Praise God for you, what you guys are doing. Josh, tell us a little bit more about Regeneration.
3: Yes, Regeneration's been around for over 40 years now. We Uh, we're in the trenches walking with men and women who are themselves wrestling with sexual integrity issues. Uh, I came to the ministry first as a client back in 1996. I was a man who I loved Jesus, and I also continued to really wrestle with pornography and other sexual sins. And Mm. this place was such a a refuge for me. It really brought together uh, these, what felt like sometimes parallel journeys that never crossed between my spirituality and my sexuality. But regeneration really helped to bring those together and, experience the gospel of Christ in this important part of my life so I fell in love with what's happening here and came on staff and have been here ever since so um, and serving as the executive director since uh, 2006 and our primary so we have three three primary offerings one is we offer what we call spiritual coaching and it's kind of a mixture of lay counseling and listening prayer and it's just really walking alongside individual men and women as they're seeking to grow in sexual relational wholeness we have some groups that we do, and then uh, we're increasingly working on projects like this to, to get out good information into the Christian world mm. um, to help men and women as they wrestle with these things.
1: Well, this is one way to do it, to get on a podcast. Thankfully, we are nationwide, and uh, we've been really blessed in the last couple of years in particular with new people climbing on board. I mean, we uh, we like to uh, be able to speak to as many people as we can, obviously on important top- po- topics such as this. I want to quote somebody who I found on your website uh gentlemen about the book and that would be Josh McDowell. He said pornography impacts every family but many parents don't know what to do. Treading Boldly Through a Pornographic Pornographic World uses solid research, biblical truth and Christ-like compassion to help parents guide their kids through one of the greatest threats of this age. True it is one of the greatest threats, and it, it's taken—the enemy has uh, gained a lot of ground in our culture, and he uses, you know, lust, temptation, uh, sexual addictions to do that. Daniel, your, your thoughts on just the great quote from Josh McDowell, and then anyth- anything else you'd like to
0: share?
2: Yeah, we were, we were blessed um, that he was willing to, you know, endorse the book and, and provide <laughs> a little quote for us. Um, he had—Josh McDowell's been a leader— in addressing pornography for many many years, and some some years ago, he he uh, had something a big summit for a lot of church leaders, almost a thousand pastors and church leaders called the Set Free Summit. Mm. So this is still very dear to him. That was only about four or five years ago, and uh, so we we were able to connect and um, just so thankful to have leaders like him speaking up and understanding just how important this is and and really you know. To, to help parents address this is really, you know, our focus is to help change this coming generation, to restore um, healthy sexuality, wholeness, to give them a vision that's really not around in our culture today, and, and often mm-hmm. not in the Church. It's just maybe a, one of those topics, as you said, it's not talked about enough, Sadly. or maybe at all. So um, there's a real—a lot of parents— we, we called it treading boldly because a lot of parents approach this with fear and uh, maybe shame. But we are saying with Christ, we can approach this boldly because we have a better story than the world's telling. Amen. Hey, so
1: Josh, do you want to uh, just briefly touch on the fact that, I mean, God created us, uh, of course, male and female— but he created us as, we're, we're sexual beings. We we He said, go, fill the earth, be fruitful, multiply. I mean, in, in the context of natural marriage between one man and one woman, that sexual relationship between a, a man and a woman, a married couple, is one of the most beautiful things. And there's a lot of, you know, I mean, look at Christ and his bride. There's a lot of things in Scripture mm-hmm. we can take away. Would you like to touch on that?
3: Oh, yeah, it's so important. and. I mean, we, we dive into this in the book from several different angles, but um, one of the things that we've that we found as we talk with parents is that intimidation, that fear factor that Daniel was describing that so many parents feel as they're thinking about addressing this topic with their kids, we believe is rooted not in the, the essence of what God designed sex to be, but it's rooted in sin. We're, the reason we're intimidated, we're overwhelmed, and we're, you know, we feel like we don't know how to do this with our kids mm-hmm. is because of what sin has distorted in the area of sexuality, but sex is God's idea. And so part of what we try to do in the book is really untwist the, the, the sexual sin that we see around us from God's good vision for sexuality. And I'm so glad you brought up things like Ephesians 5, uh, Genesis 1. I mean, God, God's heart for sexuality is really that in its best form, it's meant to point us to the way that God loves us. And those of us who have been kind of poisoned by the cultural messages around cultural ideas and images around sexuality – that sounds scandalous. Wait, sex is supposed to point us to, to, to what, how God loves us? Wait, what, are you, what are you saying? It's, it's, it's a picture. It's a metaphor. We are living metaphors created by God in his image to express God's self-giving love. And, and the marriage bed in, in holiness is meant to, to speak to that. Um, and so that's part of when we talk about walking with our kids. We're not just trying to talk about leaving something behind or t- teaching our kids to run from something. That's a part of it. But the more important part is, what are we teaching our kids to live for and to move toward in the area of their relationships and sexuality?
1: Amen. Uh, if you just joined us, we are talking about a very important book out there. It's called Treading Boldly Through a Pornographic World. I mean, those of us who are adults, if you're over, over 40, uh, <laughs> primetime television, for just one example, has changed dramatically in what we allow. My grandparents... Uh, or let's just say if you're younger, your great-grandparents, if they were to see what's on television now, that would have been considered obscene, pornographic, and offensive material 25 to 50 years ago. What happened? Well, there's a verse in Romans 12, too that says, Do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. The devil wants to attack the mind, and oftentimes he does that through temptation, and this is one of the areas... The, the, w- television, it's no wonder they call it programming, right, Daniel? Um, one of the things you wrote when we had an email exchange leading up to this podcast with you and Josh, um, one point, the first point you said was parents have to get in the game with their kids on this issue. And I notice um, chapter one is basically a, a understanding pornography's threat to our kids. So do you want to just start... Yeah, easing into the book and some of the points you guys discuss
2: yeah it, it <clears throat> we talked about how to structure the book um, and we just couldn't get away from the fact that uh, if parents are avoiding the topic they may not be aware of how influential pornography is in children's lives mm-hmm. today and so we spent uh, the first chapter just laying out the you know giving a picture of the landscape and um Our kids are, frankly, in many, many ways, immersed in pornography. Mm -hmm. They see it on billboards. They hear it on the radio. They see it on TV, movies, music, TikTok. It's pretty much everywhere, and everyone's got a phone. Mm -hmm. And this isn't the pornography of grandparents' age. It's not a pinup calendar. We're not talking about nudity. We're talking about things, and and I was thinking about this on the drive up to the studio today. Uh, President George W. Bush... Uh, the pornography industry stayed tame during his two terms because they were afraid of prosecution. Hmm. Since about 2008, pornography has just gone off the rails—very uh, violent, very degrading, um, disgusting—in all the—and this is available to kids everywhere. So um, you don't, there's no age verification. So we just want parents to understand our kids are—they're swimming in this water, whether we engage with them or not. And so Josh and I firmly believe that mm. if there ever was a time that parents maybe could hope this wasn't an issue, that time is long gone. Mm. And so we want parents to take it seriously, not be intimidated, yes. but soberly say, we're going to walk this journey with our kids. We're going to be present with mm. them. We're going to understand what's going on in their lives, and uh, we're going to walk it with them and help them, help them through it.
1: Well, one way not to be intimidated is to be informed, and that's one of the reasons your book is going to be very helpful. Uh, Josh, we have a minute and a half. Would you like to add on anything to what Daniel said?
3: Yeah, so for, for all the intimidation that parents feel and however ill-equipped they may feel, and that's one of the reasons we wrote the book, because we want parents to feel more equipped and encouraged. But the reality is that they, our kids are digital natives, and when they are seeking truth or connection or they have questions, their go-to and their friends' go-to is the Internet. And so the, you know, the good, natural, even God-given questions they might have about their bodies, sex, male, female, to look for those answers online is going to be really destructive for them because of the nature of what they'll find there. And that's why we think no matter how well parents think they'll do, they will definitely do a better job than the Internet will on shepherding their kids in this important area of their lives.
1: Uh, If you just joined us, we're talking about a very important book, Treading Boldly Through a Pornographic World, with co-authors Daniel Weiss and Josh Glazer. We've got a whole lot more coming up with these two gentlemen, one in studio in Green Bay, Wisconsin, and the other calling in from Maryland. And they tag-teamed on this very important book, tackling some really tough content that we really need to be aware of. And parents really have to be equipped on this because, like these gentlemen both shared, It's all around us. Children today are bombarded with porn. We're going to define pornography and talk more about this when we come back on Stand Up for the Truth.
0: Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up for the Truth with David Fiorazzo.
1: The book is called Treading Boldly Through a Pornographic World. I've got the co-authors here with us. We've, We've got to tackle this topic, friends. And if you're not dealing with this issue... Um, meaning if you're not struggling with, with this issue, uh, whether it's temptation, whether it's sin, or whether it's addiction, you probably know somebody who is. You might not know they are, though, because this is one of those secret sins in the church. Um, so let's get back to definitions and simplicity, get back to the the basics here. Josh, uh, definitions matter. In Chapter 1 of the book, how do you define porn? Because as we talked about right before the break, our acceptance in our culture of obscene material, offensive material has as it's it's really disappointing if you're a Bible believing Christian how much we have accepted and now here we are.
3: Yeah, one of, one of the pieces we talk about in the book is, is just how important it is to talk with our kids about their definition of pornography so that we have some and especially we're talking here like tweens and teens so we have some common ground as we're talking with them. We like the definition that, that Dan Spadaro uses. Um, he says it's any kind of sexually explicit content produced or consumed with the intent of sexual arousal sexually explicit content produced or consumed with the intent of sexual arousal which that, I mean that that's, we're not just talking about like when you log on a porn site there that mm-hmm. I mean you could that covers the commercials you know and things like that or or music videos that that, that we're watching so mm-hmm. um, but the reason that's important is because as as Christians and as Christian parents we want our kids to be thinking along the lines of not just what the culture says is pornographic, but but what, what's God's perspective on what the human body and the human person is is meant to be and how we're meant to relate with each other, and is what we're watching, what we're listening to, what we're consuming, treating people that way, or is it treating them more for sexual arousal? Hmm. And I think that's, that's, that's where some of the meat of the conversation with our older kids comes into play.
1: Um, Daniel, you also talk in the book about, according to these surveys and these stats— who is looking at or using pornography, and um, it says 33% of all Americans. Um, and then it's it's kind of interesting, 33% of females ages 13 through 24, 67% of males in that same age category, and then you guys make the point, uh, porn obviously, to personify it, porn is looking for kids, the youngest age possible. Go ahead.
2: Yeah, that's, that's the thing. Um, you know, when Josh and I were growing up, you know, kids in the 80s, you might have found a pornographic magazine in a dumpster or in a you know your friend's parents closet or something, mm-hmm. a VHS tape. It, it was something that was still kind of difficult to get. That's not been the case for some time now. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's been uh, some pretty good research that shows how pornographers, uh, use internet misspellings, uh, kids' uh, keyword uh, keyword searches for things like Pokemon and other really popular toys and games. They put uh, hidden links in gaming sites mm-hmm. and they go directly to porn sites. So there's a very intentional, aggressive uh, move to get kids exposed to pornography at an early age. And the pornographers know this because they literally changes their brain and how it functions. And kids uh, some kids can look at porn once and turn away and not be that enticed by it. but that's not the case for a lot of people and, and, and a lot of, a lot of men especially, you'll ask them, do you remember the first pornography you saw and they can still picture it because it's that uh, influential on the brain, mm. especially for young kids. So um, as as Josh was saying, you know definitions matter, and I'm thinking as we talk to our kids about their what they understand pornography to be, it's important because we want to have open, honest, clear communication. And I'm just thinking of you know, like my own family and the way kids will wiggle out of something. I, I heard something on the radio the other day. Did you did you break the vase? No. Well, what? What? How did it get broken? Why well, dropped the vase? The floor broke it. And so, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You gotta you gotta really be clear with with young people sometimes. And so just having those open, honest uh, conversations, even about the definition of pornography uh, is so important and helpful.
1: So, Josh, one of these bullet points in here we'd like to talk about is the fact that half as many parents think their kids are watching porn as actually do. Can you uh, elaborate on that, please?
3: Yeah, I mean that was that's a really startling statistic to us. And and just anecdotally, when we first came across that kind of information, one of the members of my team was sharing that with a friend of hers, and the friend was kind of like, "That that's not you know my my kids are young; they're definitely not looking." She went home. She pulled picked up her her I think it was her eight year old son's uh, um, iPad or something like that, and um, and sure enough, she found a history of of porn use, and it was it was it was. Thankfully, within the last couple of days, which enabled her to get in to have a conversation with her kids. But hmm. um, so, I mean, one one thing I think for parents to think about in this regard, and this is this has been helpful for me too. Uh, I mean, I, I talk about this stuff for a living, but I still, when it comes to talking to my kids, I can feel nervous because <laughs> it's it's personal. It's I mean, what am I going to find? What's how are they going to react? If we feel that as adults, yes, how much more are our kids going to wrestle with bringing this stuff with, up with mom and dad? And so. The old line of like, hey, if you ever want to talk about this, I'm here for you. That's you know, maybe well intentioned. It's just not enough. Mm-mm. It's porn porn by design, because it, it, it moves away from God's design for us, it produces shame and it and we feel it, I think, even in our bodies. And so we want to be having winsome, regular, non threatening, non anxious conversations with our kids about the nature of sex, their bodies. So that when these things come up, it's a normal part of what we do. One of the illustrations that we we use in the book is, you know, most parents don't think twice about talking to their kids regularly about sports, table manners, grades, finances, you name it. But how many of those things can have either the the blessing or the, the, um, the destructive power in our kids' lives as the area of sex? So let this be a, a, a clarion call, a, an invitation from God to to have regular conversations with our kids. It's It actually is a blessing um, for both parents and kids when they get in the routine of this. Uh,
1: we're going to talk about Chapter 3 in a moment, A Parent's Most Powerful Weapon Against Porn, and I'll have you guys answer that, but I want to go back to something you said. I've been thinking about this since you brought this up, Daniel, the fact that there are hidden links the fact that kids are clicking on stuff, and by design, by someone else's evil design, they're lured to a pornographic site. Can you explain the mechanics of that for maybe
2: our older listeners or or some parents that don't understand how that would work? Yeah, here's how it would work. You've got a nine-year-old boy who likes gaming, you know, Minecraft even, you know, could be innocent games, you know, G-rated games. He goes to a site where he can play some free games. And you, he says, Mom, can I go on the computer? I want to play some games. Sure. He's done it before. Mm-hmm. But what is maybe embedded in one of those gaming links is a link right over to a porn site or a pop-up. And and so that your son or your daughter's not looking for it, mm-hmm. right? Uh, they may be exposed. They may not know what to do. They may just shut it out and not tell you. They may tell you. Or they may... Find it enticing and go back to it. And so it, it can be very innocent. And, and really the question we want to, parents to ask, it's not, are my kids the type that would go looking for porn? It's, is pornography going to respect our family's values and boundaries? And we know the answer is no. It's aggressive, intentional. It's trying to get access to our kids.
1: So Josh, in, in some of the work that you've done, uh, can you uh, lead us? to resources that parents might be able to look at as far as safeguards, um, computer locks, I don't know, some of these sites that you can protect uh, your children's uh, devices?
3: Yeah, we actually have an, an appendix in the book that kind of talks about some of the latest stuff. We we like things like Covenant Eyes. Mm-hmm. It's used um, not as a set it and forget it kind of thing, but as a, as a part of the relationship That's between good. parents and kids. Um, uh, one of the easiest things for parents to do, honestly, because technology is changing so frequently is to just Google uh, setting up a filter on their home router. Um, and that's, that's a great way to filter out some content. Um, but one of the, uh, David, one of the, the points we make in the book is we've seen so many parents make the mistake of relying on technology to be the solution to technology. And we really believe that the solution to the technology is, uh, challenges that we're facing is not technological. It's relational. Mm. And so um, as much as whatever different families do, and, and even Daniel and I, we, we run our families different when it comes to technology. Whatever they do, relationships have to undergird the whole thing. And and that's one of the key concepts that we want to highlight in the book. Um, and, and hopefully for most parents, although, you know, we're all busy and so it can be challenging to slow down and have these conversations or to relate with our kids in these ways. But that that can take away some of the intimidation because, you know, my, my, my kids, they, they, can, they know how to navigate the digital world more quickly than I do. Uh-huh. And, um, and so to try to keep up with them can feel really intimidating. But I know how to do relationships. I know how to have conversations. I know how to listen. And I think that's one of the things we want to help parents and encourage them to do along the way.
1: Let's go back now since we know kids are going to be reached somehow, whether the, the most innocent, like a pop-up on a link on a website they weren't even it's just very benign or a g-rated website they're going to be reached whether it's that or, or through a friend showing them something through something they'll watch at school something they'll see on primetime television if they're in the room watching a cable channel oh my goodness some of the stuff that's on not just the main networks but let's go back to the parents you make a very good point here you sent me this in an email daniel uh you said that parents need to pay attention and tend to their own story or they won't be able to fully present be, be fully present with their kids and what their own story means is their past struggles as christians we've all had past struggles with something whether it be you know sexual sin or pornography or something maybe not everybody but a lot of parents have so talk about that and how it, parents have to address their own issues so that they can more effectively talk to their kids about
2: this yeah, and that 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 can sound intimidating maybe to a listener here. Um, what do you mean I have to look at my own story? But I, I guess a good analogy would be when you get on an airplane and the the flight attendant is going through the safety checks. They indicate to parents, if we lose cabin pressure and the masks come down, put yours on first before you put the mask on your child. And the mm-hmm. reason is, if you're not fully able to function because of the loss of oxygen, you're not going to be able to help your child. And so we know, and Josh and I know this in a very personal way, we have sexual wounds. We have brokenness. Um, you know, I was exposed to pornography at a very young age, age seven mm. at a friend's house. And so this shapes how we go through life and do relationships. We, m- Many of us have made mistakes we regret. Some of us haven't found healing and uh, mm. forgiveness in that, and yes. so we've just buried it away. Yes, and that's true. And you can be Christian and still have trouble dealing with some of the things that, and and may not have been your choice. There may have been sexual violence done to you, mm. and there's a deep wound there. And so we know that if you're going to start engaging with your children, your teens, and your tweens uh, about sexual topics, there's a very good chance your past is going to kind of bump up into this or crash into this. And uh, it, what will happen is many parents may just shut down mm. and withdraw. And and what we believe very strongly is that parents you matter to God too. Yes. He wants to be it's not just you being on the journey with your child, it's Jesus being on the journey with you as well mm. and your child. And so these these are things that parents and we have we write about that, things that can come up and and really encourage parents to have good trusted Christian friends, a pastor, a counselor to talk to, especially if they're dealing with some, some pretty serious issues. Josh, is this some of
1: what you discuss, uh, you and Daniel in Chapter 4, tending to your wounds, bringing your whole self on the journey?
3: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. We You know, we tried to write the whole book from a posture of coming alongside parents. I mean, I think we're parents, we know so many parents that um, it can feel so shameful when we feel like we we're not doing a good job, and we— you know you get on facebook or something like that instagram and everyone seems like they're you know they're posting the stuff that looks good but we we've talked to enough parents to know that uh, even good christian men and women are walking in situations that are very very difficult and so our heart in the book is not to lecture parents and say here's one more thing you need to do because it's one more thing you're not doing well it's to really say we're all on this journey and i loved what daniel said a minute ago we're we're all god's kids and he, we haven't grown up enough for him. Like, he, he's with us. He is a good father and wants to continue to see us grow and heal. And one of the hard realities of being a parent is that there are times when our kids are going through something that God uses that to highlight, hey, this part of your life, it's an area that I want to get after with you too because you're still my son and you're still my daughter. I love you, and I don't want this part to still be wounded. So that we, we cover that in Chapter 4, but hopefully the whole book. As a sense to parents of, of being encouraging uh, in their own journey as moms and dads.
1: Three more minutes left in this segment. Um, we'll go back to Daniel. But the book, if you're just tuning in, it's called Treading Boldly Through a Pornographic World, uh, co written by Daniel Weiss and Joshua Glazer. And you can look up information. We'll have these links at standupforthetruth.com in today's podcast notes, links to Brushfires Foundation and also to Regeneration. Uh, both Christ-centered ministries. Back to some of the stats as we move through this a little bit further, Daniel. Just some things that the typical person just doesn't know. And you guys did the research on this. For example, um, 32% for, uh, for most teens and young adults between 13 and 24, 32% believe viewing pornography uh, to be usually or always morally wrong. Only 32%. Is that low or is that just what, how I'm reading this?
2: No, it, it does seem low to us as adults that uh, p- kids wouldn't see that as moral, usually or m- always morally wrong. But that that's the influence of what we talked about earlier. The culture has moved on in such a way, uh, in ways that would absolutely, I mean, our, our grandparents, not as old people, but as young people, would be flabbergasted mm-hmm. by what we're seeing as yes. young people. Um, and so the culture has shifted – The whole—in fact, in in, in many ways, our culture is sexually addicted. We we just cannot get away from Mm -hmm. this. And so that addiction, that unhealthiness is being transmitted to everyone. And so, uh, yeah, I think that's a low number, Hmm. and it's surprising. It should tell us the state of where our kids are.
1: Yeah, and I'm I'm not sure if that's a, a lot different in the church, because young people are young people. You know, you think about that age group. Um, we only have a minute left. Uh, did Josh? Do you want to share anything about that as well before we wrap up this segment?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things for Christian parents to know is that even even good Christian kids are when they're talking to their friends, mm-hmm. one of the challenges they'll face is that there are a lot of a lot of their friends inside and outside the church who will come at, who will talk about pornography as this is what everybody does. Yes. What What, what is your problem? What's the What's the problem here? And so to help our kids to be able to articulate a response to their friends, and I've heard stories from um, kids who are sitting at the lunch table and phones are being passed around or in the locker room with their, their sports team. And so there's this added challenge for Christian kids who don't want to look because they seem to be abnormal to their friends who think this is just a part of, a part of growing up, part of being a teen.
1: So we are just this is such an important conversation. I'm so glad we are addressing some of these issues and, and how to deal with them. But uh, one of the things Daniel and Josh share is we need to communicate a better vision of sex and sexuality. And the antidote to pornography is don't look at it, but it's here is what you are made for as far as being a child of God. But more when we come back on Stand up for the Truth, some practical solutions and what you
0: can do as a parent coming up next. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo.
1: So um, one of the things we wanted to talk about with Josh and Daniel is the fact that, according to this research, 88% of the pornography contained physical violence, and this was a study in 2007, physical violence against women. where Where's the, uh, what, what's that, the Me Too movement? Where, uh, anyway, the Women's March. Where are all these groups boycotting, for example, rap music? I, I mean, I work at a Christian radio station. We don't hear a lot of this, but I'm sure Crash, our program director, operations manager, and he looks into some of the music. I mean, compared to what's happening in the secular, it's, it's just astounding. So Daniel, would you like to address the fact that we have just almost accepted that under the guise of free speech or artistic expression when much of this the lyrics not not only rap lyrics i mean look at lady gaga and some of these other lyrics song lyrics are sexually violent and rap takes it to a whole nother level but
2: it continues to get worse yeah i think that really points out um the, the split personality we have as, as an American people. We do have Me Too, and that highlighted some really important things, mm-hmm. violence against women, abuse, exploitation that far too many women and some men f- experience. Um, but then we have this kind of cultural okay with, like you said, violent uh, music videos, rap, lyrics, um, and even in the feminist movement, because I, I work with a number of feminists routinely, mm-hmm. Uh, there's a big division in the feminist movement. There are the anti-porn feminists and the pro-porn feminists. Wow! And they do not see eye to eye. And the pro-porn feminists are also apologists for uh, prostitution and, and yep. really sex trafficking, and they call it sex work. If you ever hear anyone say sex work, they're pro-prostitution. Right. And so we've 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 had far too many things normalized. I mean, you mentioned that stat the the eighty eight percent of scenes these were the fifty most popular porn- pornography films released that year, so the most popular pornography was overwhelmingly violent Shh. towards women, right? Wow, and that's almost fifteen years ago. Wow, it's it's only gotten worse, and and again, you think about an eight year old or a ten year old or a twelve year old consuming this, <sighs> not just being exposed to it, but consuming yeah. it regularly. We're shaping. Uh, a whole generation of young men on violent pornography and it's it's frightening
1: and i think of just i don't know how many years ago was it uh j-lo and shakira the super bowl halftime show i did a, a article on that and and was pointing this out the hypocrisy and the double standards this was sexually explicit and suggestive and then they turn around and tell us oh but don't objectify women josh do you want to tackle that one
3: well, yeah. I mean, I, I've got, you know, as we said, four daughters and we have lots of conversations around the, that, you know, the, our heart to have and to see women with dignity and honor. Um, and it's a challenge. It's certainly a challenge. I, you know, when, when my daughters are sitting in a, in a class and the boys around them are holding, uh, and this is not, by the way, pornography is not just a, a, a guy problem. There are mm-hmm. a number of young women who are also in pornography and we need to be talking about that as well. But, um, my daughter's sitting in her class in uh, middle school class and there are boys around her passing around pornographic uh, images on their phones and she feels this sense of uh, you know this lack of, of safety in that moment wow. um, but but they're all in this culture where the objectification of women has become this normal thing and she's she's wrestling with that tension that Daniel's talking about saying this is our moment as young women to stand up and say we're not gonna be sexually exploited anymore and yet the, even the teachers and the administration of the school kind of, you know, shrug their shoulders and say, well, you know, it's just, it's just porn. Hmm. So there, there is a real opportunity, I think, here for, for, the, for the church and maybe for young Christian young, uh, Christian men and women um, to really call, call those around them to act with integrity, meaning, you know, one of one fabric in the way that they talk about uh, sexual exploitation and the way they talk about um, the, way, the things that we're looking at and things that we're, we're promoting.
1: Oh, my goodness. There's so much, so many different directions we could go right now. just want to point out some of the Dr. Jill Manning research in 2006, sexual addiction and compulsivity. Um, porn exposure to kids can lead to uh, believing promiscuity is normal. We've talked about that. Believing marriage is sexually confining, treating sex as a commodity and objectifying others. Or normalizing dangerous sexual behavior I mean there's many many more a lot more information on this um, in here but I just want to make sure you guys know you can get the book on Amazon it's called treading boldly through a pornographic world and gentlemen during the break uh, one of the things that you both wanted to make sure we we got to and touched on is some of these um, some of the things that parents can do when they find out that their kids not only maybe were exposed to but maybe they are addicted And chapter nine in your book says, Navigating the Unwanted Miles Walking with a Teen Who Has Become Addicted to Porn. Daniel, would you like to start a little bit? And I'll let, okay, let me let Josh, uh, since uh, you brought that up, Josh, go ahead.
3: Yeah, I mean, so, you know, a common situation will be mom or dad um, either walks in on a son or daughter or they find their device and find evidence that that the kid's been viewing pornography. And so we really, in the book, walk through, help parents walk through, what do I do now? And the first step is really counterintuitive. And it goes back to what Daniel was saying earlier about making sure that you've got your own oxygen mask on before trying to secure your, your kid's oxygen mask. The first step is really to, to breathe, to find some other other people, other adults, trusted people in your life with whom you can freak out. <laughs> so you can, you can kind of let it out, say, I can't believe what I found, this is what I found, what do I do? Because otherwise, what happens for so many parents in that situation is they go right to their kid. And inadvertently, what they're trying to do in that first moment is, is they're trying to somehow uh, put on the, their, their son or daughter the weight that they're experiencing because of what they've discovered. Instead, as we, as we unpack this with, with, and take a breath and even take a, a day or two to you know unpack with some adults, then when we go back and talk to our, our son or daughter, we can do so with, with a, a more non-anxious presence. And the reason for that is because, again, like I said earlier, pornography produces shame. If your son or daughter's been hiding this, they've been most likely hiding it because they're feeling some shame about it. Mm. And so, we want to address it from a, a, a posture of "I'm for you." This is what I found out. We're just, you know, you know, we're going to talk plainly about it, um, and uh, and and then from there, even to say to son or daughter. Um, you know, this is, this is, I, you know, i was listening to this podcast today or I've just read this book and I know that this stuff can be highly addictive and can be habit forming. And so it's just, we're going to just walk through this together. We're going to learn together how to, how to move forward. And if we haven't talked about it much before, we're just going to make this a regular part of our conversational diet um, as we go forward. And again, that we, there's a lot more we can say about that, but we un- unpack a lot more about how to ask good questions mm. and how to create safety around this topic as we talk with our kids in the book.
1: I can imagine for some parents who don't have the best or the most open relationships with their children, how hard, on top of the difficulty of the content, the subject matter already is, how hard it is to approach this and talk when they're not used to talking about deep stuff at all. But I want to throw this one to you, Daniel, because you're in in studio. Uh, No, no, for no other reason other than we, we need to address this, are pastors responding uh, appropriately or effectively to sexual challenges within the church. I know there's uh, some research that's been done in on the Brushfires website, sexuality and the church in America. What can you tell us about the problem, which most of us already recognize, as far as pastors with a lack of effectiveness in the church, but how we can overcome that?
2: Yeah, we did some research. Uh, about t- two dozen different Christian groups got together to fund some research by Barna Group. Looking at, and we surveyed um, you know a number of senior pastors um, about their attitudes about sexuality. So that's the study. and some of the research that we found was that parent, pastors believe that talking about sexuality and teaching about sexuality in church is very important. They know these topics uh, are concerning to a lot of people. They meet with people in their offices who are dealing with some kind of brokenness. Mm. But when we ask them what they're doing, only 5% of churches were what we call highly engaged or highly, um, you know, programming on sexual topics. So whether it's sermons, Bible studies, even promoting outside conferences or, you know, retreats, uh, having small groups that deal with addiction in their churches, only 5% of churches had engaged in seven to nine of the nine activities that we asked them about. And no, over a quarter of the ch- pastors indicated they were doing none of these. So we have what, what I call, in a lot of churches, it's this kind of cycle of silence. The Be- pastor uh, doesn't talk about sexuality from the pulpit or in a Bible study. And so the parishioners, the members, are kind of leery about bringing up these topics. And then the pastor, since he's not hearing anything, doesn't think it's important for the congregation mm. because no one's addressing the topic with him. And so we see this cycle of silence where mm. nobody's addressing it, and, and you really have to create safety in a church. It's not just proclaiming the truth. You have to make it. You have to be vulnerable. You have to create safety for people to come out of that shame. And, and yes, we're covered by Christ's uh, atoning sacrifice, but there's walking that out in the process of sanctification. And if our churches aren't safe, and if our pastors and leaders aren't making our churches safe to talk, openly honestly mm. uh, bringing the grace the love of god to sexual brokenness people won't be sharing these things and so you have a lot of sexually broken people in the church today and that's one of the reasons i do the work i do because i think that we have to change the whole culture on this topic
1: i like that that cycle of silence and i just think of how this snowballs once someone gets into pornography the the sexual promiscuity is a natural result and then Oftentimes it's getting someone pregnant, a young girl or teen, who then thinks, oh, abortion is the only solution. I don't want to tell my parents, my church doesn't talk about it, I'm going to go to Planned Parenthood, and they will welcome them with open arms. Josh, would you like to touch on the church's responsibility and maybe where people can get, parents can get information on how to help youth that are struggling that maybe they're not getting at church?
3: Yeah, I mean if I actually continued your question in a little bit of a different direction, David, I, sure I think one of the one of the things that we've heard from pastors over the years is is um, you know, as important as this topic is, is it really the, the church's, you know, place? You know, aren't there you know they're experts to do this stuff, maybe they should be the one. But that that fails to recognize what you brought up earlier, which is that that by God's design, sex and sexuality, all of that means being male and female, uh, lifelong covenant of marriage. Mm. Is a picture that God has given humanity to help us know what He is like. Both that He is a, He is a, a, a Trinity—Father, um, Son, and Holy Spirit—that He is three and yet one. We have a, a similar experience, or we we see that in Scripture when the, the you know husband and wife come together and the two become one flesh, and then God willing, uh, those two actually then uh, produce another being. And you you look at a, a, a biological child, and you can see an image of the father and of the mother in the child. And so hmm. that that child actually manifests in a way, becomes flesh of the love between mom and dad. Um, and that's just the beginning. And then you, you mentioned Ephesians 5, which talks about a husband loving his wife like Christ loves the church. And Paul says, this is a great mystery, but I'm speaking of Christ and his church. Not that Jesus is going to have sex with his church. That's not what that's about. It's that, that sex between husband and wife is meant to communicate something of the passionate, eternal, covenantal, fruitful love that God has for His people. Um, Christopher West, who's an author we admire greatly, said, uh, "If you want to know what is most sacred in the world, look for that which is most profaned." And so, the, the, the reason I, I bring this up, and we're talking about pastors in the church, is that we can we certainly need to address the profane nature of sex in our culture. But what pastors really have an opportunity to is to hold up a bigger, better, more beautiful vision of God's heart for sexuality. And because their congregation is actually hungry to know God, and this is meant to help point them to that. And honestly, we think the culture is hungry for this, too. I mean, all that we see with, with the degraded versions of sex and sexuality, they do not satisfy us. They leave us feeling used and abused. Um, whatever the culture may, may prop up as sexual freedom people are wounded, and these are I mean, these are the people walking through the doors of our ministry every day. Um, and, and so we, we believe there's a great opportunity for Christian parents, Christian pastors, to hold up high the light of Christ in this area of, of um, what it means to be a human being, uh, and, and to draw people towards Jesus.
1: So Josh, is the best way for a pastor or a parent, a Christian parent, to get a hold of you, is it through regeneration, or how would they get a hold of you?
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go to our website, regenerationministries.org. We'd be happy to talk with you and um, happy to help we can.
1: How about, Daniel, the best way to get a hold of you? Brushfires? Brushfiresfoundation.org. Okay, the book, friends, I'd highly encourage you to check it out, Treading Boldly Through a Pornographic World with Daniel Weiss and Josh Glazer. Gentlemen, thank you so much for all that you're doing and your work and your expertise. God bless you both. Thank you, David. Thanks for thank addressing so this topic. You're very welcome. All right tomorrow Andy Woods the doctor from Houston, Texas Andy Woods Ministries he'll be back with us also um, Wednesday I think we're going to have to change that Uh, Jan Markell will be with us on Thursday and uh, we guys thank you so much for tuning in for sharing the podcast this is another one of those topics that needs to get out there so please do what you do listen and share God bless you and as always keep speaking the truth about things that matter